Oh my goodness, pretty good news. Thank you again, Stephen Copeland. Uh, our lawn does look great. You don't have to stay off the lawn uh, when you come on July the 12th. Uh, but hopefully uh, you got the information, the important information. Uh, I'm not gonna repeat all that. I, I do, I will mention one thing in particular. It is gonna take us a little while to get people seated. So uh, give us some space by arriving uh, at a good time, maybe starting about 25 minutes before the service, 20 minutes before the service. It's July, it's, it's not April, it's gonna be warm outside, and we just don't wanna have a huge backup uh, at the door with folks having to wait to, to come inside the building and wearing a mask when it's the wonderful St. Louis, you know, 100% humidity. But we are looking forward to being back together, and I do appreciate Stephen's uh, leadership and help with all of that. Uh, let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Galatians. We're going to uh, kind of do a one-off sermon today. Uh, starting next week, we're going to do uh, a sermon series that, for about seven weeks, that asks the question, uh, how do I love my neighbor? Well, uh, so that'll begin on the 12th of July. But for today, I thought that I would uh, ask uh, the question about Christian freedom. Is there such a thing? So 4th of July weekend, yesterday was 4th of July. And, and uh, even with the restrictions, I'm sure we had a lot of fun. So think about 4th of July for a minute. And what does that mean to you? For some of us, you know, it we, it, we go back to 1776. Maybe you've seen Hamilton uh, in the last couple years. And, and you think about the founding of this nation, a, a flawed founding, but a, but a founding that was leading towards freedom nonetheless. And and the uh, just the patriotism, perhaps it wells up in your heart. Maybe for others of us, it's kind of all about the backyard. Uh, it's about the cookout. It's about the it's about the barbecue. It's about being uh, with friends. Uh, some creative uh, types of treats, uh, perhaps are are made uh, by whoever the chef in the family is, or or the chefs uh, in the family or in the neighborhood. And when we think about Fourth of July, we think about you know fellowship with friends. Uh, for some among us, it can be somewhat of a sad day when we think about the sacrifice perhaps a loved one has made, a family member perhaps in past generations or even in this generation uh, who have died defending the freedom upon which our country was founded. So today may be a day uh, where you look back and you, and you think of someone uh, who's lost. Maybe uh, for all of us or, or for a good number of us, it's a day where we realize the journey of freedom is still very much uh, in progress, uh, that it, it is not complete, uh, that there is still work to be done. Uh, our longing, our desires that every American uh, would experience the fullest expression of freedom and justice that that our that our founding documents promise and that all of us so long to to strive for to be be part of of that so maybe that's what you think of you think of for this line the last one i i thought of as i was thinking about this is you know it's summertime in america it's time to time to hit the open road it's time to to do the things that you don't normally get to do uh during the rest of the year you maybe have a little bit of time off of work and you can, you know, you can take that canoe and kind of go into the woods or maybe uh, hit old Route 66 and head somewhere where you, where you haven't uh, been before. Uh, as Americans, uh, freedom is a word that's very important to us. Uh, it's a word that is very dear to us. 
Is there such a thing as Christian freedom? Is there something that is unique to our faith that encompasses the notion of freedom? We're going to use uh, the book of Galatians this morning. We're going to look at a variety of different verses, only in Galatians. A lot of times I'll, I'll go to other places in Scripture, but because Paul is very concerned about Christian freedom, about the application of the gospel, which we'll see in just a minute, uh, I'm going to restrict our time uh, in the Word of God to just the book of Galatians. And there are three specific places that we're going to start out reading this morning where, where God, or through Paul, speaks directly about freedom that believers have. So let me, uh, let me read for us uh, a couple of verses out of Galatians. And uh, it's a short book. It's only six chapters long. If you have your Bible open or even on your phone, you can flip to it pretty quickly. Uh, first off in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5, Paul's talking about a previous experience he had where some folks who didn't believe in the freedom that the gospel brings were kind of trying to point the Galatians in a different direction. And he says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, we did not yield even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And then in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then a little bit later on, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul follows, follows the thought up with this. For you are called to freedom, brothers. We put in there brothers and sisters. In Paul's day, it was more to, the, more to the male audience, but everybody in the church. You've been called to freedom, church. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. We pray with me. I'm going to give a moment of silent prayer. Uh, we probably hadn't been very quiet for the July weekend. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, I thank you for the experiences that you gave the Apostle Paul, as well as the filling of the Holy Spirit in a very special and unique way that we can come to this letter that he wrote to the churches in that region uh, that was known as Galatia and talk about freedom, talk about Christian freedom, what it means to be free in Christ Jesus. Lord, you, you know the land in which we live. Uh, nothing uh, happens outside of your providence. Uh, this nation was established because you deemed that, uh, and you are the Lord of history. You are the Lord of the past, the present, and the future. The Lord, you know that, that Christians who live in this country, uh, freedom's an important word for us, but sometimes we misuse it. Sometimes we don't live up to its calling. Sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we misunderstand. And so, Father, we pray this morning that as we think about the most important freedom that a person can have, which is freedom in Christ, we pray that you would help us. We, we admit we're Americans and we're not ashamed of that or embarrassed of that, but Lord, we also know that creates a lens through which we look at your word that at times could hinder us. And so, Father, we pray 
uh, for any barrier, whether it be cultural, whether uh, it be uh, our own uh, fallen nature, Lord, that you would break down those barriers. Uh, my lack of, of clarity, uh, my, my, any sin in my life that might keep, keep me from teaching the right way. Father, we pray that you would break down all those barriers and that you would teach us this morning what it means to be free in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not going to cover everything that there is to be known about Christian freedom today, but hopefully we hit enough of, of the high points through this, this study to give us a good indication of what it means to be free in Christ. So sermon, in a sense, is in the form of a question today. And so you see my friends up there uh, on the screen are pondering this question. Freedom in Christ Jesus. How do we get it? How do we keep it? How do we use it? Freedom in Christ. How do we get it? How do we keep it and how do we use it? Now, uh, we want to uh, set this up in terms of there are things from which we have been set free and there are things, excuse me, there are things to which we are set free uh, to do. So let's, let's look at that for just a second. We've been set free from a couple of uh, things. We've been set free from the control of sin. Sin is no longer our master. Before I was uh, in Christ by faith, I was enslaved to sin. Whatever those natural desires are, even, even if it meant it was going to hurt other people, I just ran and do it. Now there's a check in my spirit. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a little more detail when we get into the, the second point here. But now there's, there's something in my mind and in my heart that says, not that way, that way. That's because I've been set free from sin's stranglehold in my life. I've also been set free as a follower of Jesus from the judgment against sin. Jesus paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. God looked at my life and he rendered a verdict, guilty. God looks at your life and he renders the exact same verdict, whether you believe it or not, is immaterial to the, the reality that, that one day all of us must account to God for things done. And every one of us have done things that have offended God and have hurt others. But in Christ, because Jesus took my punishment, which is the third thing from which we're free, we're now free from the judgment of God. And therefore, as I just said, we're also free from the penalty of sin. But we're also free to some things, not just from some things. We're, we've been set free to have a right relationship with God. Jesus has restored he has given us that right relationship. Our sins have been forgiven. His Holy Spirit and His Word have made us alive to be free in Him, and so we can be in a right relationship with God, which always leads to what? A better relationship with one another. We are free to care for and serve one another. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that as we answer these three questions this morning. So the first one is freedom. How do we get it? In chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, these false brothers were coming in to spy on what? Our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Our freedom, first and foremost, is an identity. It's not a behavior. It, it's who I am. I am in Christ. That is my identity. Well, if I am free... In Christ, well, how did I get in Christ in the first place? Well, I am in Christ through faith. So it's not only my identity, but freedom in Christ means that I put my belief in what God would do for me. Uh, and Paul puts it this way in chapter 2. 
He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, and that's a way of saying, even we know, right, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So what have we done? We also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So there's Paul's definition of, of faith. We are putting our belief in Christ. We believe about ourselves that we're sinful, that we're broken, that, that, that we're rebellious against God. But we also believe that God is gracious and active in salvation through Jesus Christ. And therefore, that leads us to put our faith in Christ, which is now a new identity. We are free in Christ. So how we get to this place of freedom? We get there via faith. So the question that we want to ask in this, in this first of three questions, and, and by the way, I'm going to pause for a second. Questions one and three are going to bookend a big chunk of our time, which is going to be in question two. But to wrap up question one, how do we get it? We get it, this freedom by being in Christ that comes through faith. The question is, do I remember that? The question is, do I live in that reality? And I think the honest answer that we would all give is that sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I remember who I am in Christ. I remember that it's not about working to earn God's love, but that God has already given me that love. He's already given me that, that new life in Christ. There are times when I remember, but there are times when I can be just so terribly forgetful that I, am, that I, I have a new life in Christ uh, and that it, I belong to him. Uh, sometimes I have kind of a, a situ, situational amnesia. I get in moments where I forget that I'm free in Christ. Maybe uh, like me, you've enjoyed uh, the Jason Bourne movies. Robert Ludlum's uh, novel, original novel, who he created, Jason Bourne, was actually a, a book before it became a movie that, uh, that propelled Matt Damon into, into uh, starhood. Uh, at least it was one of the, the movies that certainly did that. But the whole premise of the movie is that there's this guy named Jason Bourne, and he doesn't know who he is. Uh, he, he's, he's been hurt terribly, uh, and he, the whole movie is him trying to figure out who he is, and he turns out that he was a spy. It turns out that, you know, he's this, you know, master assassin, and he can kind of do all these crazy things, uh, and it, it's an intriguing premise. But the notion there, you see at times he, he's living not knowing who he is. Now, that's kind of cool in a movie, but actually it happens in real life. People have amnesia. I was studying amnesia this week and read about a soldier in World War I, a French soldier, and I, I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce his name. Uh, but in 1918, there were 65 French prisoners that were released by the Germans and put on a train and sent back to France. They got off the platform in Paris. There were, there were family members there to greet them. And kind of as the, the dust settled, so to speak, there was one man left and he had no idea who he was. He could not remember his name. And the, and the other men said, we, we've given him this name. Uh, and I can't pronounce that one other, either, uh, but we don't know who he is. And for about three years, uh, doctors examined him. Uh, they would put his picture in the newspaper. Over 300 different families across France thought perhaps he was a member of their family. But it literally was not until 1930 that he was correctly identified, that, that he discovered who he was. And he still had no recollection of that. There are times... Where, where the tragedy of, of that story from a human perspective uh, 
create tragic results in my life because I forget that my identity is in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must remember how we get it. <laughs> it's identity. The freedom we have is because through faith, not through our works, and our sin that, that we commit doesn't take us out of that freedom. Uh, it, it may slow us down in our progression and our growth in faith, but nothing in all of creation separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do we understand uh, our identity? Secondly, if we get it through faith, how do, we, how do we keep it? And by that I don't mean how do you keep your salvation? How do you not lose God's love? We cannot lose God's love. What I'm really talking about there is how do we foster it? How do we grow it in our life? And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And that's what we're talking about. What, how do we stand firm in that freedom? And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So look at those, those guys out there working so hard. Look, look at the effort they're putting in. And he, each of those pictures, I picked those because it looked like it's a hot day. You know, it looks like it's the middle of July in St. Louis. And, and they're working so hard. And as Christians, sometimes conception in our lives that the, these works of the law, so to speak, uh, which I would equate to our modern definition would be a way that I earn or work for God's approval, uh, that that's the pathway to true spirituality. And what Paul is saying here is we must not allow ourselves to be overpowered by or controlled by a mis- appropriate theology of good works, a, a theology that says, I've got to do, I've got to work hard, and if I do the right things, if, if I live the right way, then eventually perhaps God will love me. Paul says we have been set free from the works of the law, from this notion of earning or working for God's approval. So how do we, how do we stand firm? In these things. That's the language that Paul uses. He says, you've got to remember, it's for freedom. It's not, it's not for a burden of works. It's for, not for a burden of guilt. It's not for a burden of shame. It's for freedom that we've been set free. How do we, set, how do we stand firm in this freedom? Well, the first thing I think is realizing how potentially dangerous the outcome can be if we choose to go the other direction, if we choose to live a life of duty and obligation and, and guilt and, and self-righteousness instead of the righteousness that we have in Christ. And in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul says this, Oh, foolish Galatians. I'm going to stop right there. When's the last time somebody looked you in the eye? I'm, I'm not talking about teasing with you. When's the last time somebody looked you in the eye and said, You're a fool. You are an absolute fool. That is not a compliment. If it's coming from somebody who loves you, it means they have great concern for you. It means they are very fearful that the way you're thinking or the behavior you're exhibiting is going to lead to a disastrous result. Paul is deadly serious with the Galatians because he is so fearful for their, their thinking that's moving them away from the freedom that they have in Christ. So he says, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who's muddled your thinking so you can't even think clearly? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, as the payment for your sin, the payment to set you free. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? Did you come to this new life, to this freedom? By the works of the law or by hearing with, and here's that word again, faith. And so... Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Paul's asking some really tough questions here of the Galatians. And he's saying, you, you need to understand that you, your thinking here is potentially absolutely disastrous. Well, what does that mean in the church? I mean, that's strong language. And kind of everybody sits up and goes, well, we're, we're, we're about to enter into something disastrous. Well, what would it look like? How would we know it? If it happened, I want to give you two things out of Galatians that Paul says. The first one is in chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul asks this question. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. I, I, I should have read all the way through that. I apologize. Thank you. Here's the next, here's the question. What then has become of your blessedness? Another translation said, what has happened to all your joy? The notion of blessedness there, the notion of joy there is that as I realize my identity in Christ and how I've been set free from the control of sin, how I've been set free uh, from the, the judgment against sin and how I've been set free from the penalty against sin, which I so richly deserve, it begins to grow in my heart and it creates gratitude. It creates thankfulness. It creates a new spirit, a new person. Paul said that in other places in, in, in the Gospels, in, in the New Testament. Uh, we're a new creation in Christ. My life begins to take on different patterns that are much more spiritually healthy uh, and much more spiritually and emotionally vital. And Paul says if we're going to go by the duty-bound pathway, we're going to lose all of that because we're going to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery have you ever seen a picture of someone who's been burdened by the yoke of slavery who looks happy, who looks just absolutely joyful with their life? You ever look at those old picture of the, the oxen with the yoke over them as they plow the field? If the oxen could talk, do you think they would say they were having a great time? Paul says it's disastrous because it, it, it will, it'll wipe you out emotionally. And when I get wiped out emotionally and when you get wiped out emotionally, we begin this duty-bound guilt stuff where we got to work harder. We spread that out on everybody else and it hurts the people around us. And that's the second disaster that could happen. It says this in, uh, later on in chapter 4. For the whole law is fulfilled in, this, in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't do that, if you don't live in freedom, what happens? You bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now I can't be free. Now I have to be cautious. Why do I have to be cautious? Because I got to look out for you. Because in, in this sense of duty, in this sense of I'm going to earn God's love, that means you're going to outwork me. And if you can make me look bad and make you look better, you're going to do that. And guess what? You need to look out for me because I'm going to be doing exactly the same thing. That will destroy a church. It will destroy a community of faith, and it won't happen from the outside. I think we're right to be cautious these days and, and somewhat concerned about how the church is under attack, in, in, even in our country of freedom. And there, there are certain things uh, that we ought to be paying attention to. Uh, there, there is a tide. There's definitely a philosophy out there that goes counter to the church. But the facts are, we're our most potential dangerous enemy. It's us. And how we live with one another, if we don't live in this freedom, if we don't stand firm, then it will happen uh, even here at Green Tree Community Church. It will happen in any congregation. So the first thing is realizing the potential danger. Well, what's the antidote? Sometimes the antidote to danger is running away. Sometimes the antidote to danger is just getting out of there as fast as you can. So, you know, Stephen jokingly said, the pastor's saying don't come to church. Uh, the pastor's saying the lawn does look great, but please, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the couple hundred that will be able to be here. But the antidote here is not to run away. The antidote here is not to hide. How do we keep our freedom 
we actually get in the fight. So there's, there's the, the movie that put Russell Crowe over the top, Gladiator, and I wish I could remember his name uh, that he says, uh, and he's the, the father of a, of a murdered son, uh, the husband of a murdered wife, and he's, he's, he's going to set things right. But he's in the gladiatorial arena, and it's a fight. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now listen carefully. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is saying there is he's using gladiatorial terminology. When he says the flesh, which is my sinful nature, the thing that says, oh, I'm going to just work hard and earn God's love, and he'll have to accept me because of all the good things I do, and I'm going to kind of stomp on everybody else while I do that. That's the flesh. And then you have the Spirit, which says you've been set free. You've been set free to love God. You've been set free to love one another. Those two are opposed to one another. They're not opposed to one another like they, they have a friendly debate with one another. The language that Paul uses there in Galatians is a fight to the death kind of language. So what Paul is saying is, is pick, up, pick up the sword and, and get in the fight. If you want to hold on to your freedom, you've got to be thinking about and actively seeking to hold on to that freedom. Freedom is free for those who enjoy it, but it, com it comes at a price. We know that in this nation. The history of the world tells us that is true, and it's true spiritually. How do we, how do we get in the fight? Because it's not a literal fight. There isn't trying to kill someone involved, but it's a, flight, uh, it's a fight against our sinful nature that moves us away from freedom. So the first thing I would say, if we look at these verses, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The first thing to get in the fight is ask the Spirit to kill my flesh. Not literally physically, but ask the Spirit by acknowledging the fact that I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to you know, try to do this duty thing and this works of the flesh. I'm going to be tempted to that. Say, Holy Spirit of God. Please move me to freedom. Please remind me. Don't let me have amnesia. And make that a daily prayer in my life. Make sure that I'm communing with God in, 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 in small, quiet places throughout the day, not just, you know, a couple of minutes in the morning, a couple of minutes at night, but maybe, maybe set your, your watch every two hours at pings and you just take 15 seconds and say, Spirit of God, remind me that I've been set free in the Christ. That in Christ. That's jumping into the fight. Secondly, it's knowing or learning the weaknesses that, that I have in my own life. There are certain sin patterns in my life that, that may be similar to yours. Uh, there may also be uh, things in, in my life that are different than yours. Uh, and I've used this term in the, in the previous sermon series on emotions and being self-curious. What are Tom Ricks's sin patterns? I think that's a, a good question to ask myself. One of my sin patterns comes out of my early childhood, and it's a sin pattern of reacting to the emotion of shame. And by shame, I mean feeling like I'm not enough. And so I, I've struggled with this all of my life where uh, there's just a sense in which I'm like, well, nobody would really want to be around Tom Ricks. You know, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't want to be with me. And I don't vocalize that a lot in those terms, but that's a lot of times when I lose sight of the freedom I have in Christ, I can go to shame, that, that I'll never be enough, and that leads to all kinds of, of difficult 
circumstances. Uh, it leads me to feel like I got to protect myself. And so I actually hear things that people say differently. Let me give an example of this. Uh, obviously during COVID, we've all been at home more. Uh, Cindy and I, no different than anybody else. And uh, uh, a few months ago, uh, two, three months ago, there was uh, a person in St. Louis who passed away that I knew. Uh, and it was a tragic death. I didn't know the person real well, but I, 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 they were an acquaintance. They weren't a friend. But I have a good friend who was a good friend with that person. So early that morning, we had heard this news of this gentleman's death. And Cindy says to me, you ought to call that friend because he, he's really going to be impacted by that. She said, you ought to give him a call. And I sat there and I thought about that for a minute. She got up and she went someplace else. And I, and I thought about how I was feeling at that moment, self-curious, okay? And I realized I was angry. I realized that I was really uh, upset that Cindy had said that to me. What I had said to her when she got up from the table was, well, that's, that's a good thought. Thanks, sweetie. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out. I'll give him a call. So I decided I was going to take a little risk because we've been married 30-something years, so we're, we're pretty comfortable together. And I said, hey, would you come back in here and sit down for a second? And she came back in and she sat down and I said, uh, you know, you just suggest, you gave me a great suggestion that I, sh I should call my friend. Do you know what I heard when you said that? She said, uh, call your friend? <laughs> I said, no. What I heard was, Tom, I have to remind you of this because you're not smart enough to remember. You're, you're failing. You're, you, you're, you're not good enough. I said, now, Cindy, I know you didn't say that. And by God's grace because I'm, I, I'm trying to live in the freedom of Christ, I can recognize that my reaction is flat out wrong. But had I not been under the control of the Spirit at that moment, where that could have led to is me snapping at Cindy. Don't you think I'm a good pastor and know that I should call my friend? How dare you, right? I've been in that place before, friends, and I know a lot of you have too. A lot of us live in those spaces. Not out in public, but, but maybe with the folks closest to us. So when I say we need to get in the fight, Getting in the fight means understanding, at least, at least seeking to understand the struggles that we have, owning them, and asking the Spirit of God not just to remind us that we're free, but remind us in these specific sin patterns that we're free and move us away from them to a place of spiritual health. And then the second thing we need to know or we need to learn is we need to know and learn godliness. Look at these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm praying that the Spirit will come in my life, remind me of the freedom of Christ. What kind of things am I going to experience? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control where I was able to call Cindy back and say, hey, can we talk about this for a second? Let me confess a sin to you. Let me ask you to help me. That was done because the Spirit was, was empowering me to have self-control in that particular moment. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Two things there. No godliness. You should memorize those verses. I don't apologize for telling you that. You ought to memorize those verses. Not out of duty, but because of the freedom that you have in Christ. And remember, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are the things that express the freedom that I have in Christ. But we got to learn these things. We got to know these things so that we can keep in step with the Spirit. Some of y'all are natural dancers. Some of y'all are amazing. I've been to enough weddings with Green Tree people to know the people around here that know how to dance. I'm not one of them. I had to, I've told you before, I've had to take lessons before Katie's wedding. There's a picture of me dancing with Katie at her wedding. Not really. <laughs> All right. But we got to learn the gospel waltz. 
we've got to, we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? By faith, step one, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. Step two, I'm loved for who I am, not for what I do. God will never remove his love for me. The third step, God invites me to live as his redeemed, and I can trust him. And then you repeat it again. I can, I, I hear it in my sleep. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then usually there was an ouch in there when I stepped on the, on the dance instructor's toes, but she was very patient and very kind uh, with me and learning to dance. And our God is infinitely more patient and infinitely more kind, but he's the leader of the dance. How do we, how do we, how do we keep it? We remind ourselves it's not the works of the law. We understand the potential danger and we get in the fight so that we can then learn the dance. And then thirdly, how do we use it? And I'm not going to spend much time on this. I'm just going to mention it uh, in chapter five, verse 13, for you were called to freedom. That's God, God's intention all along. I'm here to, here to set you free, but don't use your freedom for an opportunity to flesh. In other words, for an opportunity to be selfish. And, and to just live for yourself and, and, and not worry about anybody else. But, but how do you use your freedom? Through love, serve one another. The gospel sets us free to volunteer. And that's what all those t-shirts say on all those, all those folks in, in that picture. I don't know what that particular event was. Um, I could have grabbed a picture from 2028, but I thought I'd mix it up a little bit uh, in the images this morning uh, because our service isn't just limited to 2028. I feel like uh, in that example I, I gave you, and I always hesitate to give you good examples because there's so many bad examples. But in that moment, uh, a few weeks ago with Cindy, where the spirit of God gave me a better outcome than I would, that I would maybe normally have. I, I, I was serving Cindy. Cindy didn't have a bad moment uh, with me that, that, that day. She could have, I could have gone the other way just as easily, but I was able to serve my wife by allowing the spirit of God to remind me of the freedom that I have in Christ. So service isn't just volunteer, but I feel like if we got, if we all wore shirts every day that said volunteer, it, it would probably remind us that this freedom sets us free to care for one another. So the opposite, if we're in the fight and we know that the bad outcome is that we bite and devour one another, the opposite is just as true. That we actually are a congregation, we're a spiritual family that nurtures one another, that serves one another, that, that loves one another, that has compassion with one another. Freedom is a great word. Americans, we love the notion of freedom. I hope you're celebrating this weekend. I know our, our country's in a difficult moment, but it is a wonderful country. We are, yes, deeply flawed. Every country in the history of mankind has been. Uh, but there's something unique about, about being an American that I consider a, a tremendous and great blessing because we do have the opportunity to, to, to make sure that freedom finds its fullest expression for everyone. And I want to I wanna encourage everybody to, to good active citizenship in, in our nation. But more importantly, I want us to be a people. I want to be a person who lives in the freedom of Christ. And so just as a reminder of what that means, how we can apply it to our lives, we're free in Christ. Why? Because of the new identity that we have by faith. Remember that faith today. We're free to live in faith and not under the obligation of rule keeping which is powerless to save, but powerful to rob me of my joy in Christ. And I should go on to say, and really break our relationships in deep and significant ways. 
So I need to remember that I am free to live and get it, get in, get in that fight with the spirit and the flesh. Uh, ask the spirit, show me my weaknesses to remind me of, of the gospel and to allow me to do that dance. And then free to serve one another, to think of others and how I can care for them uh, in Christ. Let's be free in Jesus, uh, as Paul says in Galatians, and all that means to the people of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we have been set free in Christ. For all, all who believe in him have been set free. That's the reality of our lives. But Lord, we get spiritual amnesia. We forget. Uh, at times we bite and devour one another. At times we, uh, we live under this, this burden, this yoke of slavery that says you got to do more to get God to love you. Father, forgive me. Forgive us when we allow that to have the upper hand in our lives. Father, remind us this, this weekend where we celebrate our national freedom. I pray that you would remind us that we are free in Christ Jesus above all else. And may we use that freedom to honor you and to serve one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.